everybody. Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope the content encourages you and helps you build your faith. Now enjoy the message. All right, let's jump in. Jeremiah chapter 32, uh, one of my favorite chapters of Scripture. Let me give you some context on this because uh, I could read you the verse. The verse speaks for itself, but the context is really where the, the nuts and bolts lie, okay? So you have the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, and the nation has just experienced Babylonian captivity. They have been ravaged and they have been destroyed. Uh, and, and here's why that happened. The prophet Jeremiah came to them and he was telling them, hey, stop your rebellion, stop your arrogance, stop trying to be your own God, submit to the Lord, change your ways, and you will will not experience what's coming. And they kept saying, we got it all figured out. Thanks, but no thanks. We don't need your advice. We don't need you telling us what to do. So the Babylonians come in, they take captive, and they absolutely burn the city to the ground. They take all of the people captive and disperse them everywhere. In fact, Nehemiah says, and this will be a season that we'll jump into uh, after baby arrives and after baby is good, a season on burnt stones. I love how Nehemiah describes, he says, when I walked back into the city, I saw piles of burnt stones stones? How do you rebuild something that's been burnt to the ground? How do you rebuild something that's been destroyed? We'll spend a bunch of weeks there uh, finishing out the year. But nonetheless, Nehemiah describes it as a place of just burnt stones, a place of burnt rubble. The nation itself became divided both politically and racially. I'm not talking about the United States in 2020, although this is going to hit heavy right now. The nation at first was the house of David. It was the united nation of Israel. It was the united, it was the nation of the Jews. They called it the house of Israel. What happened was when Solomon's son Rehoboam was born, the southern kingdom, what became the southern kingdom, rejected Rehoboam as king. They said, he is not our king. So we will form our own kingdom here in the south. It became the nation of Judah, the kingdom of Judah. Up north, they formed the kingdom of Israel. So when you read through Judges and Second Chronicles and you see the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel and you're wondering why are they separate now, it's because one rejected the king of another. So now they've divided and here's what happened. Southern kingdom was living close to Babylon, so they started intermarrying with the Babylonians. The northern kingdom was living close to the Sumerians, so they started intermarrying with the Sumerians. All of a sudden, this fight broke out. Which race or which tribe of Judah, which tribe of David, is the purest of the Jews? It's not the northern kingdom. They're marrying Samaritans. Samarians. It's not them. It's not the southern kingdom. They're marrying Babylonians. We'd have nothing to do with it. So they divided politically. It's not our king. We'll form our own kingdom. Well, this is our king. Have fun down there. They divided racially. No, they're intermarrying with them. That's not us. No, they're, we're, we're married to them, and they're trying to marry them. We're not, that's not our people. So this nation has been divided, right? They're divided politically. They're divided racially. And now they've just been destroyed. They've, isn't it kind of ironic if you think about this for a second? Political division and racial division led to destruction. 
Let that sink in for a moment. Read the book of Jeremiah. Political division, racial division led to destruction. Led to the absolute crumbling of a nation. Now let me read you the verse. Jeremiah 32, 38 through 40. You know what? Guys, I know you don't have this. Let me just dip back a little bit more uh, in this. Let me go back. 32. Let's start in let's start in verse 36. About that. You won't have the first couple verses. Sorry, tech guys. This is not, <laughs> I'm always just a massive headache for our production team. Here we go. Now I want to say something more about this city. You've been saying it will fall to the king of Babylon through war, famine, and disease. But this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. This is a promise of restoration. I will certainly bring my people back again from all the countries where I will scatter them in my fury. I will bring them back to this very city and let them live in peace and safety. Here you go, starting in verse 38. They will be my people and I will be their God. Here's our verse for today. And I will give them one heart and one purpose to worship me forever for their own good and for the good of all their descendants. Verse 40, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good for them. I will put a desire in their hearts to worship me and they will never leave me. I'm going to add 41 to it. I will find joy doing good for them and I will faithfully and wholeheartedly we plant them in this land. Amen. How many of you are familiar with Wizard of Oz? Come on, show me. Was a good amount of you. A good amount of you. That's great. I'm from Kansas, so you know I know the Wizard of Oz, right? Dorothy was in fact a Kansas, a Kansan. Dorothy was swept up for those of you that don't know. Dorothy was swept up in a tornado, and she was dropped in the land of Oz. And when she landed in the land of Oz, there was a good witch that was there, and Dorothy wanted to get back home to Kansas, and she didn't know how. So she asked the good witch, and the good witch said, you need to go see the, the Wizard of Oz. So she takes the yellow brick road, we're off to see the, the wonderful you nailed it. On her way, while she's going, she encounters three different people. She encounters the Tin Man. And the Tin Man is off to see the wizard. He wants to join to go see the wizard because he wants a heart. He doesn't have a heart. Then she encounters the, uh, the Scarecrow, and the Scarecrow wanted brains. Didn't think he was smart at all. And then she encounters the lion, and the lion, the cowardly lion, wanted to find his courage. He wanted to be bold. So she's got this ragtag crew of the brainless, the boldless, and let's call them the heartless, right? And she's traveling to see the wizard, and the whole time the wicked witch is, you know, trying to do things to stop them from getting there. And then she finally gets to the Wizard of Oz, and when she gets there, what happens? It's fake. She recognizes it's all 
fake. It's not real. It's a guy behind a curtain who's banging on things and they're manufacturing wind and everything else. And once she realizes that it's not real, they're upset, they're disheartened, they walk back out, yet the witch is still trying to attack them. And finally, they overcome the witch and they come to this realization in their victory that what they needed the whole time, because so, so then Dorothy realizes how she can get home. The scarecrow realizes that he's actually pretty clever. Clever, the tin man discovers that he has a heart and the lion actually realizes that he's bold. And the whole end of the movie culminates with them realizing they didn't need the wizard to give them what they desired. That they had was already in them. They just needed a situation that would force them out of what they didn't believe they had and force them into what was already inside of them. They already had it. It was already there. It already existed. They just needed a situation that called it out of them. When I think about where we're at collectively as a country, when I think of where we're at, I feel like a lot of people are looking for an answer in a person, in an organization, in something. They're looking for this answer. And and what I feel like is I feel like we're lost a little bit on a yellow brick road chasing something that doesn't exist. And if we would just take a moment to recognize that what we're longing for has already been placed within us. It is living and breathing within us. The Spirit is within us. Christ is among us. God is over us if we would take a moment to recognize that the things we're distracted chasing on a yellow brick road are already within us, we may be able to start changing a few things. The children of Israel, the things that God tells them he's going to give them already existed among them. They already had them. The problem was they denied them. They didn't care for them. They resisted them. And all of a sudden, a situation occurs in the Babylonian captivity that draws out of them what was already in them to restore and rebuild their nation. What does it take to experience restoration? What does it take to rebuild something? What does God desire for me to restore? You could think on a small scale of my marriage, what does it take for God to restore and to rebuild my marriage? Or you could think on a big scale of what does it take for God to restore and rebuild our nation. Either way, they're both wrapped up in Jeremiah 32 verse 39. And I will give them one heart and one purpose to worship me forever for their own good And for the good of all their descendants. That's our outline for today. Unity, worship, and good. Unity, worship, and good. What does it take to rebuild? What does it take to restore? What has God already placed within me that he's calling out of me to tap into to rebuild relationships, to rebuild my family, to rebuild my marriage, or for us to rebuild in community? What is God longing for out of us that the scriptures say he has already placed within us? Jeremiah 32, 39, and I will give them 
one heart and one purpose. First thing, first thing is unity. Unity. You have to have unity to rebuild. You have to have unity to restructure. Galatians 3, 28-29 says, There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. Listen to this again. Guys, keep that on the screen. For there is no longer Jew or Gentile, that's race, slave or free, that's social status, Male or female, that's gender, for you are all one in Christ. Two people caught it. For there is no longer Jew or Gentile, that's race. Slave or free, that's social status. Male or female, that's gender, for you are all one in Christ. Here's the problem. That, and I may trigger you right now, and it's okay. You need this. We need this. That is a highly controversial statement right now. That we are all one. That we are all equal. That we are all under Christ. That in Christ, it's not about color, it's not about race, it's not about money, it's not about popularity, and it's not about gender. It's about Christ. It's about being in Christ. It's about being united with Christ. And look at how he finishes it off, 29. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to to you. Unity is how you rebuild. And unity only happens through the lens of worship with the foundation of Christ. What was the purpose? I'm going to give you one heart and one purpose to worship me forever. How do you build unity? You build unity through worshiping Jesus. Why? Because there is neither slave nor free. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. It is Christ in all and you are one in Christ. Has to be that way. It can't be anything else because anything else would be Division. Christ unites, the enemy divides. And a house divided, Jesus says, cannot stand. It will fall. It will be destroyed. So how do we bring restoration to anything? How do we bring restoration to our family? Maybe your family is in shambles and it is divided and it is broken up right now. And maybe the Thanksgiving that's coming up you are incredibly worried about because there's every political party represented in your family and you know a huge fight's going to break out. You're laughing because you know it's true. And someone literally talking to me saying, like, I don't know what I'm going to do about Thanksgiving because so-and-so showing up and they're voting for them and so-and-so showing up and they're voting for them. And if the results from the election are out, they're going to kill each other at Thanksgiving. Why? Why can't we be united beyond that? Why can't we be united above that? Why can't it be that we are one in 
Christ. I had a baseball coach in college who, and I've shared this story before, but it's just popping it in my mind because I can, I can see it. I want to give you, in fact, let, let's do something. I want to give you a visual of it. I need, uh, I need, let's go Dylan, Mario, come on, Corey, um, Chris, who else? Let me, let me see, let me see, let me see, let me see. Who do, yeah, 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 you two, come on, you two, come on. Where else? Oh, wait, are we, yeah, y'all stay masked up and, uh, can I show you something? Are you guys all good? Okay, here's what we had. My coach had our team, right? And he had our team together. You guys need to be against the wall. Go against, go all against, go against the wall. Backs against the wall. Quick, quick, quick. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Quick, quick. Backs against the wall. There you go. And here's what our coach did. And I remember this. I thought he was crazy. There was like 35 of us on the team. Okay, and y'all need to be standing next to each other on the wall. So can we slide, 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 slide. There you go. A little closer, a little closer. And he said, here's what I need y'all to do. He said, here's what you got. This is the only way you're getting out of Friday. You have to do a wall squat for 10 minutes. They didn't know what they signed up for, right? I actually called some of that. Yes, there you go. So he said, squat down. Wall squat for 10 minutes. Get in a good wall squat for me. Do it. Do it. Oh, it's going to start. Should we, should we see how long we can torture him? Do we keep? No, no, no. Quit your cheering. Quit your. So here, here's what happened. Coach had us there, and, and after about three, after about four, after about five minutes, your, your legs start shaking, and you start wobbling, and you're sweating everywhere, and, and people just started dropping, right? You can, you can stand. Yes, yeah, thank you. You can stand up now. Stand up now. And Coach kept saying, come on, y'all, stand up now. And Coach kept saying, figure it out. Figure it out. And we're like, why don't you figure it out? Ten minutes is impossible, right? There's no way I'm making ten minutes on this. And he kept saying, figure it out. And then you know what happened? Chris, I know you've heard this story before. Uh, you know what happened? Uh, coach said, you figure it out. And all of a sudden, one of the guys that was struggling, two guys got around him, and they locked arms. Lock, lock arms. Lock arms. All of a sudden, we, and then we looked as a team, and we saw what, what the guys were doing. And coach said, there you go, there you go, 10 more minutes. And he said, go down in the wall squat. Now you go, how is that? Is that a little better? Is that a little better? A little bit, Dylan, I see you wobbling on the side. Is it a little, it's a little, it's a little better? Listen, I, I remember this visual in my mind. And I remember watching coach count down five minutes, seven minutes, eight minutes, nine minutes. And we were there and we were holding it. ten minutes. And I remember when he hit ten minutes, we started screaming back, one more minute. And coach was like, I'll make it five, you know. I'll show you. But guys, give him a hand. Step up. Give him a hand. Y'all head back. Y'all head back to your seats. You didn't know you were going to get your cardio today, I have that image ingrained in my mind. And the picture that I see was a bunch of men who couldn't do it on their own that were far stronger when they were united. Were far stronger, far more capable, could last far longer, could do so much 
more united than when they were divided. Do you realize God can do far more with the body of Christ united than divided? Come, do you realize God can do far more? Then what are we constantly bickering about? What are we fighting about? Why are we divided? I will tell you why. Because we're spending more time worshiping at the altar of our political party than we are at Jesus Christ. We are spending far more time divided over political ideology that who knows who's telling the truth anyway versus being united in Christ. Versus moving, and listen, I, I had someone ask me before. They said, man, are you, are you anti-politics? I said, no, I'm apolitical. And let me tell you why. Because there are people in this church that are Democrats that call me pastor, and there are people in this church that are Republicans that call me pastor. And it's more important to me that everybody can call me pastor versus their political advocate. That's far more important. It's far more, because the moment... I lose that trust and that rapport. There are people that will be embarrassed to call me their pastor. That should never be the case. Now listen to me. I am all for participating in the political process. You, you should vote. No, you should vote. You ought to vote. I would be disappointed in you if you didn't vote. But worshiping at the altar of politics right now will not create the unity that Jesus Christ can. Hear me. Worshiping at that altar will not create, because man cannot do what Jesus can do. And what did he say? I will give you one heart and one purpose. Not to worship ideology, not to find a new king, not to find a new ruler. He said, I'll give you one heart and one purpose to worship me. To praise me. To exalt me. Unity begins when we start locking arms rather than trying to prove how strong we are on our own. You've got to start uniting with people. You've got to be willing to have civil discourse. What does that mean? You've got to be willing to talk to and love someone who thinks and acts and believes differently than you. You have to be willing to do that. If you're not willing to do that, we can't create the unity that led to the destruction of a country. Let's go back to this second part here. And I mentioned it, Jeremiah 32, 39. So he says, I will give you one heart and one purpose. And then he says, the reason, the purpose is to worship me forever. What is our purpose? What are we united in purpose about? What has God from the very beginning desired of us, longed for from us? Exodus 8.1, we ran through this. We repeated this for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and announce to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so they can worship me. If all you learned in children's church was that Moses said to Pharaoh, let my people go. You missed the most important part. Let my people go so they can worship me. That's the whole purpose. 
The purpose of freedom was so that we could worship. Matthew 4.10, Jesus is encountering Satan in the temptation. It says, get, Jesus says, get out of here, Satan, after Satan had tempted him. Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. We have been united in heart and we have been united in purpose so that we can worship. And worship is not three or four songs on Sunday morning. You get that, right? Worship is not three or four songs on Sunday morning. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is, uh, let me give you an illustration. Say I had a, a, a diamond or a gem. Say I had this gem and it was worth a million dollars. One million dollars. I'd be cashing in big time, right? I'd have a new truck. I don't know. This ain't about me. No, say I had this gem. It was worth a million bucks. And I came to you, and I handed it to you, and I said, put this in your pocket, and I want you to guard it for me for 30 days. After 30 days, if you still have it and you give it back to me, I'll give you $100,000. Heck of a deal, right? It's a good deal? Good deal? You following me? How many of you would know exactly where that gem is at all times. Oh, what is wrong with some of you? Okay, let's do this. Who doesn't care about $100,000? <laughs> How many of you would know ex if, if someone said to me, put this in your pocket, it's worth a million bucks, hold it for 30 days, after 30 days, if you still have it, I'll give you 100,000 bucks. I would know exactly where it is at all times. And in 30 days, I would cash in on an easy 100K. That is what living a life of worship is about. It is knowing that you have something incredibly valuable on you. Knowing you have something incredibly valuable in you. And it is living with a consciousness of that. So that your actions and your words reflect that. What is living a life of worship? It's knowing that you have an incredible value in you. You have an incredible value on you. And everything that you do and everything that you say and every action that you take is an act of worship and being incredibly conscious of that. So he goes from, I will give you one heart and one purpose to worship me forever. Now here's where we need to land. For good. He says it's, it's for good, and it's not only for your good, it's not for the good of the future, but it's so that God will keep doing good. Listen to this, Jeremiah 32, 39 through 40, skipping to about the last part of verse 39. He says, and I will, they will worship me forever for their own good and for the good of all their descendants. Why do you worship? You worship not only for your own good, but for the good of everybody else. And then he says, And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will not stop doing good for them. I will put a desire in their hearts to worship me. That is a prophecy of the future of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in your heart to give you a desire in their hearts to worship me and they will never leave me. Let me read you verse 41 as well. And then he says, I will find joy doing good for them and will faithfully and wholeheartedly replant them in this land. I had a friend who tweeted, Instagram, whatever you call it, I don't know, put it on his story. 
He said, there was, a, there was a meme, it said, where are you going in vacation for 2021 if you can go anywhere? And he said, America, please bring it back. America, I miss America. I want to be replanted in there. How do you replant? How do you find? How do you restore? How do you see God start doing good? It is so simple. He says, I will give you a united heart, one heart, one purpose, worship forever. And then did you catch four different parts of good? It will be for your own good. It will be for the good of everybody around you. It will be so that God will do good and God will continue to do good in your life. Good, 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 and good. But I love how he said at the very beginning, it's for your own good. Parents know that statement, right? Parents, do we know that? For your own good. For your, for your own good. You may, in other words, what we're saying is this, you may not want it, you may not desire it, it may not be something that you want right now, but trust me, it's for your own good. My son, Canaan, uh, this seems to be a reoccurring theme with him. He, he loves riding his bike right now, and one of the things that he does is when he's riding, he's looking back at me. You already know how dangerous that is, right? We were riding in the cul-de-sac the other day, and there was a house for sale. Hey, let me tell you something. These real estate signs are in the ground. Like, they don't mess around with those things, right? And it was this, it was that steel one out of steel frame, had the metal sign on it, and he is just blazing on his bike, and he's looking back at me, he's saying, Daddy, Daddy, and then all of a sudden I hear this wham, and he flies over his handlebar, and he's face first against, and he sinks down, and I was like, Bobby, you gotta watch where you go. I mean, the sign did not even budge. It looked like he rode his bicycle into a wall. It was so funny. So now he's got this friend in the neighborhood. <laughs> I realized what I just said there. It was so sad. I was so bummed that he got hurt. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> so he's, he's got this new friend in the neighborhood. And uh, this new friend is nine. And he's four. And this new friend likes to ride his bike without a helmet. Right? So now my four-year-old's coming to me and he's saying, Daddy, I want to go ride my bike. I'm like, great. And he's saying, but I don't want to wear a helmet. And I'm saying, you have no choice. And he said, but my friend doesn't. And I'm saying, listen, son, it is for your own good. You have to have this thing on your head. So we're riding bikes the other day. And it was after a storm, and this branch had broken. And I mean, it was, a, it was almost like a tree that had broken. It was hanging over. And we were riding in this neighborhood next to ours, and we were cruising. And he starts looking back at me, and I start yelling at him, Look up, son, look at And he's like, Daddy, can you catch me? Can you get me? And I mean, he hit this thing. It looked like he got decapitated. It just. He hit, and his head just, oh, and he lets go of his bike. His bike flips up over. He's laying there flat on the ground, and he's, he's looking around, and he's confused. And I rode up. I stopped next to him. I said, son. I said, son, son. He said, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. And I was like, great. He's concussed. You know, he thinks he's, he's lost his mind. And he said, no, 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 daddy. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And I said, well, what happened? He said, oh, I, I didn't see that tree. But he said, daddy, I got my helmet on. I said, right, son. I said, no, I, I asked him. I said, and why do you have your helmet on? 
He said, because I, I, I for my, am, I, am I good? I, am I, I, because I, I don't, because I, he was like stuttering everything else. But he, he realized in his mind what he didn't want to do was still for his own good. Let me press you for a moment as we finish. Unity may not feel good to you right now. Because you may have some very valid reasons to be opposed to something else. It may not feel good right now. Worship may not feel good right now. And living in worship may not feel good right now. But here's what you need to know. It's for your own good. Pressing in for unity is for your own good. And it's not only for your own good, but it's for the good of your descendants. And it's not only for the good of your descendants, but it's for the good of the country. And it's not only for the good of the country, but it's for God to continue to do good in our midst. So we strive for unity. We worship the Lord and we honor his goodness. Everybody, thanks again for joining us. We believe God has something great for your life and we hope this message encourages you to take the next step in your faith. Have a great week.